All right, episode four, Sound of Music. It's about freaking time, man. King. <laughs> about freaking time, King Crimson. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing well. I apologize to everybody in advance if you hear like a mild amount of squeaking or like rustling in the back. We just got a new cat, so there there might be a tiny bit of that bleeding in. <laughs> yeah, a new cat, and if you know, for those of you that have been listening in the first three episodes, you might hear the occasional birds in the background on my end of things, as well as a dog. So, you know, animals all around, but it's all good. We're not professionals, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, I actually, when I edit the, whenever I edit this stuff back, I always enjoy hearing the bird sounds. But anyway, anyway. So we apologize, as Rob mm-hmm. just said, that it really has been a while since we've posted an episode, and we did want to briefly talk about why that is. Mm-hmm. Um... Rob, you have been in the midst of a move. Move, new job, and um, yeah, move, new job, new cat. It's been been a, been a crazy like last month or so. Yeah, and that's I mean all of that's a process in of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the move especially was a little crazy there for a while, but you're settled now. Yep. You're settled at the new job, new house. You just got a cat, and uh, yeah, sound like sound like things are pretty good now. Yep, and how about you? What about you, Andy? What have you been up to since the last episode? Oh, Andy. Well, since you asked, <laughs> um, I've been back to work. Um, I think we've mentioned a couple times on the show that I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. I'm a third grade teacher specifically, and that has taken up a lot of my time. In addition to that, uh, I guess you could say I sort of got promoted as well, too. So I'm the grade level chair um, of my grade level. I'm also what's called the intermediate chair, which basically means I just, I oversee third, fourth, and fifth Whoa. grade. And, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, <laughs> and uh, a couple other um, add-ons to my job title as well, too, that I'm not going to bore anyone and get into. But, you know, now I wear about six different hats. Well, congratulations. So. <laughs> and this is one of them. We're back. We're back, guys. The Sound of Music yes. podcast is back. And should we talk about... Um, what this series is going to be going forward. I don't know if you want to get into that. Yeah, so during our month and a half hiatus, if you will, um, we have been talking behind the scenes as to where we want to approach the podcast moving forward, um, getting feedback from some listeners, which has been fantastic, by the way, some of the feedback uh, we've been receiving. And one of the things that, we had heard back from people was just how long the show is, which that's something that after every time you and I are done recording, that's like the first thing that we talk about. Like, oh my God, I can't believe that was two hours. Oh my God, that was two and a half hours. <laughs> so <laughs> we, after this episode, we're going to do one more episode, which is going to be the wrap up episode where we do our top 20 favorite King Crimson tracks, as well as we do our album rankings. And there's going to be some other things that we're going to do um, in that yeah, episode. Some that final we'll talk thoughts about. and we... Some final thoughts, yeah. reflections that we'll, we'll dive into more um, when we get to that episode. But we did decide the next band that we are going to cover in the discography mm-hmm. series, which we're not announcing yet, uh, we did decide to go ahead and just do one album an episode. Yeah. And couple reasons why we decided to make that shift mainly one for you guys as listeners it's just 
it's easier to digest. Yeah, it's way <laughs> you know? way easier to tune in to say we're going to try to make it. What do you think? Somewhere between, you know, on the on the long side of it, an hour. On the short side, a half hour. You know, maybe somewhere in the middle, it'll be more like a forty-five minute thing. We're hoping, yeah, anywhere between thirty to forty-five yeah. minutes max per episode. Um, which is a lot more doable because, of course, we're talking about one album as opposed to three. Mm-hmm. And we do realize that as a result, especially with this next band that we're going to tackle, that this could take a long time. But one of the other things we discussed as well is that we're going to start doing a every other week schedule. So yes. every two weeks, hopefully, <laughs> emphasis on hopefully, um, we'll post a new episode. So at least with doing two episodes a month, um that's two albums of course that we can cover um and also really because it's more digestible for us too not just for you guys but for us i mean i know one of the things for me personally doing this king crimson series which has been a blast oh it's been amazing really has (laughs) but part of the reason why it took us so long to even just record this episode not even just because of you know how crazy our lives have been but also because I just needed a break from King Crimson. <laughs> and also, if I may add, too, um, you know, when we have the time between the episodes, as we've stated, we do do research and we do listen to all the albums at least once. I don't know about you. I think each of us have listened to every album at least twice, if not three times uh, min- minimum. And uh, it's just easier, like, if you have two weeks between episodes and you're only doing one album, I could listen to it four, five, six times you know, and really get a feel for the right. album versus trying to cram three or even the first episode we did four albums and uh, within a couple week period. Now that seems like not a lot, but when you have a lot of other stuff going on and, um, you know, I like a- Andrew and I are both huge music fans in general. So, you know, I like to listen to other stuff and you almost feel like, I don't know about you. I was like, if I listen to something else, I almost feel like I'm, I'm, feel guilty like I'm not doing my homework, you know, almost. And I, I don't like that feeling. I'd rather just listen to the album because I want to, you know. So That's just it. And, yeah. we, and, you know, like we do this. At the end of the day, we do this for fun, guys. Like we don't – we're not getting paid. We're not monetized or anything like that. We mm-hmm. really do do this for fun. Yeah. And I, I do think that, it, at least for me, speaking for myself, it was starting to feel like homework. And mm-hmm. once it starts to feel like that, then it, this is just no longer fun. So we're hoping that being able to break it, you know – by one album an episode um it gives us more listening opportunities but also being able to listen to other things while preparing for each record that we're going to talk yeah and because like i said i know that for me that was also i didn't mean to cut you off um that that was also part of the reason why i just needed to break i just needed to listen to other things that weren't king crimson yeah and unless you had anything else to say just to just to kind of wrap this up so we can proceed um, I mm-hmm. the only, and we didn't really even talk about this off air, but I was just, this kind of just came to me. If we do, mm-hmm. uh, if we change this now to every two weeks where we do one album and it takes us half hour, 45 minutes, we'll probably have to set aside about an hour of time. Right. So that's really easy to, a lot easier to carve out than say two, three hours, but not just that it gives us a little more room to do the other things we wanted to do as well. So if we're feeling froggy and we have a little extra time, it's like, Hey, now we can do this other idea that that we had, or maybe we want to do this one-off video, or we want to do some other project. So that opens us up. Absolutely, and we do have other things yeah. that are in the works as well too. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, Rob, that kind of gives us now more the opportunity to. Yep. I'll do those things as well too. But so that's gonna be you know the new format, guys, mm-hmm. um, as well as the two-week schedule. Uh, so what that means is we're shooting for two weeks for the King Crimson 
uh, discography series finale. And then I guess we're looking at a month from now for episode one, season two. Hopefully by the <laughs> of, end of uh, October, we could have King Crimson wrapped up and at least maybe the first album under our belt for yeah. the next band. That would be, a, I think, a good goal to make. All right. Uh, so that's... Go ahead. I was going to say, if if you're done, do you want to start out with where we left off with our um with yes. with our, so, our little our little uh our little project here? <laughs> <laughs> so again, because it has been a while, uh, for those of you that do remember and you did listen to the last episode, um, kind of out of nowhere, we had the idea as we were wrapping up three of a perfect pair, uh, to come up with our own alternate version of using songs from beat and three of a perfect pair, which the name we came up with was a perfect beat. Mm -hmm. Uh, The idea of this was to really take our favorite tracks, excuse me, uh, off both those records and I guess sort of make our own what if Mm -hmm. album instead. Um, Now I know, and I'm going to get into it in a second. I know when I was putting my track listing together, I really had the mindset of like this alternative, you know, reality, whatever you want to call it. Um, This was the follow-up record to Discipline. Mm -hmm. How did you approach this, Rob? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Because, I mean, uh, and no offense to you guys who like Beat and Three of a Perfect Pair. I actually think I like them more than I initially did. But we discussed in the last, without rehashing the whole thing, but we discussed in the last episode how we felt between the two albums, you know, there was a really solid album uh you know of the best of tracks from those two records so for yeah for me it's definitely like what is the big follow-up to discipline because discipline was a really great album and i think discipline was a really important album for the band it really launched them back into you know relevancy and just (laughs) existing at all since the band had been pretty much disbanded since 1974 so um, yeah, absolutely. And this is, you know, again, no disrespect to those two records because they are pretty good albums. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I would agree, I think, since um, both of them have maybe grown on me a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know for me, and I do this with a lot of my favorite bands, this is just a fun, you know, what if, you know, type of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really all it's meant to be. It's just for fun. Um, my dream version of how I guess I wish um, this era panned out, but you know, again, it's just, it's for fun. It's, you know, you may like it, you may not like it. Mm-hmm. Either way, that's completely okay. But let's do this, Rob. Let's maybe, if you want to share yours first, and maybe give a little bit of a backstory of how you approached it, mm-hmm. and then I will share mine after. Let's do that. Okay, well, I didn't have a much of a backstory, and I know I'll, I'll keep mine a little short and sweet so I can give you the floor, because you seem pretty excited about it. <laughs> so um, I just simply picked um the what i basically pulled together my favorite songs from each um from each album and i kind of just thought well what way would i want to sequence this you know so i had them i just had them all in just a random kind of playlist and then i just listened to them and i kind of just basically i mean it's pretty simple i pretty much just kind of shifted the tracks the way I i thought that they would go and um i'll just go through through the album or the tracks track by track so you guys can uh i can kind of tell you what my headspace was when i did it now um i will say i want to preface this before we both get into our list by saying that if you are listening to this on youtube if you check in the description below there is going to be two links to uh spotify playlists and you can listen to both mine 
and Andy's uh, The Perfect Beat playlist. So whichever one you like or if you want to hear both of them, just check in the description below. Click it. If you have Spotify, it should just open it right up and you'll be able to listen to it. So that being said, um, the first track that I picked was Three of a Perfect Pair, which I mm-hmm. thought was a, the perfect opener. Uh, it was my favorite opener of the two albums. And I don't know, I, I just thought it was a good album to open it with. Um, and what I did with this album, which I, which to me is a bit of a complaint I have sometimes with the sequencing of King Crimson albums, and particularly I had this complaint with Discipline, is that they tend to put like stack instrumentals together, and I think mm-hmm. that the albums would flow better sometimes if they were to do more of a format of like, you know, uh, shorter kind of song with vocals, instrumental, you know, then again, shorter vocals, instrumental, you know. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Discipline falls under that trap, and so does Starless and Bible Black. Yeah, so what I ended up doing was I pretty much did it in that in that manner. So I went with Three of a Perk Pair uh, from uh, the title track from that album. Then I went Satori and Tangier from Beat, which is probably, it's my, it's, it's tied for my first uh, favorite instrumental from that album, and one of the, my favorite instrumentals from that entire period. Uh, I just think it flows well into it. Then I went with Waiting Man, and I think with Beat, uh, those tracks are pretty close together. I don't have it in front of me, but I think those two tracks are pretty close. I'm just looking real uh, They're both on side one. I forget yeah. how close they are, too. I just know they're both on side one. I thought that they just flowed. Like <laughs> I thought that the songs, again, I don't know... I don't ha- again. I don't I didn't have a particular mindset with. It. I just thought the album or the songs flowed together well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it's just Waiting Man's probably my favorite track off the album that is that has vocals. Um, and it's got kind of like a YouTube vibe. YouTube, YouTube vibe. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was kind of cool to to put it after that. And then I went with Absent Lovers because uh, you you. Uh, Ute, Jesus, oh my god. Waiting Man has kind of a little bit of a pop vibe to it. And I thought, um, since Absent Lovers is, is an instrumental, but it's kind of got like a danceable beat sort of sound to it, that it would go well after it. So I went with that. I really liked that. Then I went with Sleepless from Three of a Perfect Pair. Again, just kind of clustered. Sleepless is kind of um, the best of the more quote-unquote accessible tracks from... Uh, from Three of a Perfect Pair, as far as I'm concerned, so I thought that would go well into it. Uh, then I went with Neurotica. Neurotica is interesting because, again, it's a mo- more of the accessible side of King Crimson, especially on beat, but there's kind of a weird vibe from that song that you get. There's kind of like a crazed, kind of strange, you know, feel to it, which I think leads well into what... Um, basically will be the last three tracks on this, which are all from Three of a Perfect Pair. And they're from that kind of darker industrial side of the album. So I went with um, Nuages uh, as an instrumental, because it's probably my favorite instrumental on the album. Then to Dig Me and then to Industry. I closed the whole the whole track or the whole uh, album with Industry. Because I think nice. um, closing on kind of like a dark ambient um, piece like that is... Is a cool way to end the album, you know? I love that transition, dig me into an industry. And you're kind of sticking with the original side, too, of Three of a Perfect Pair in that aspect. 
I like the idea of that. That uh, like it was a cool idea in it um, to have, but I just felt like the sequencing made it a bit of a chore to listen to by the end of the album because it's it's mostly instrumentals and it's kind of dark ambient stuff, which is fine. But if you don't break that up a little bit, it can it can kind of drone on, you know. So I I think breaking it up with you know, dig me there was a, a good way to do it. And I also purposely picked the song, the track New Wages because it's relatively short. It's less than five minutes long. And then Industry is seven minutes, but after that, it's just over. So it, I think you have a lot of, um, you, you have a lot of room to kind of get a break from some of that long noodly stuff, you know, which I love, <laughs> but too much of a good, of anything isn't good, right? Totally. And you know, what's cool guys, you know, <laughs> Um, listening to Rob's um, Perfect Beat track listing is just like when we prep for the show in general, behind the scenes, we don't really share our opinions on the albums that we're covering because we want to kind of, um, you know, keep that live feeling of, yeah. you know, being surprised by our, you know, what we agree with, what we disagree with. So it was really interesting to hear um, what you chose to put on yours. And I didn't exactly do a count about half of the songs you picked um, are not on mine. So wow. it's really cool to hear, you know, how you approached it versus how I'm about to explain how I approached it. Um, well, I'm, I'm interested to hear your, I think what I'll probably do, and I assume you'll do it too, is after, at some point after this, I'll end up listening to your. <laughs> so I was just about to say that. So we'll do that. We'll, we'll have to yeah. for sure listen to each other's. Um, uh-huh. But is, is that it? Can I start mine? Yeah, go for it. I That way we can just get through it. So. Okay, I'm going to try to be as quick as possible. You know me of the two of us. I'm definitely the one that babbles on. Probably a <laughs> little worry, more. worry, I like that too. <laughs> um, so I just want to give a little bit of background of how I approached mine. I kind of had like this like alternate, you know, reality <laughs> where, you know, <laughs> this is like how the band followed up Discipline. So mm-hmm. the Discipline tour was successful. And when the band was getting back into the studio, reconvening, getting ready to record what would be the follow-up to Discipline. Uh, I sort of approached it similarly to how um, Three of a Perfect Pair was approached in the sense that Blue wanted to do more of like the pop, more accessible, you know, reach out a wider audience, whereas Fripp wanted to kind of, you know, go back and do some of like the more darker, sinister, experimental stuff. So some of that is kind of incorporated um, on my Perfect Beat track listing. So it's 1982, and again, Adrian Ballou is like, you know, Discipline was a, you know, a new sound. We, you know, reached a new, you know, wider audience, and I want to be able to expand on that. And, you know, there's, you know, new waves becoming really big. Um, So we need to reach, Mm -hmm. you know, reach a wider audience, not sell out, but reach to a wider audience. Fripp isn't exactly opposed to the idea, but he's also a little reluctant at the same time. Um, so unlike what ended up, I guess, you know, happening with Three of a Perfect Pair, um, the two um, came to more of an agreement on my mm-hmm. Perfect B album. So my side one, for the most part, is the, I guess you could say the single side um, the more accessible mm-hmm. side, with the exception of one track, and I'll talk about why I placed it there. Um, and then my side two is the more experimental side, but still up until this point in the band's career, um, 
more accessible compared to some of their more experimental stuff. Okay. So my first track, side one, also opens with Three of a Perfect Pair. <laughs> um, it's a great like, opener. I, I'm, I'm kind of not surprised to hear it, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, no, it totally is. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I realized, too, as I was putting this together, especially with, like, the beat songs, like, beat kind of has um, a theme, and that's, of course, you know, the beat generation. Um, so mm-hmm. being that I kept, you know, some beat songs, um, thematically, this album might not <laughs> entirely work out the way I have it, but... Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was just listening to it before we started recording today, and I definitely each track segues very well to the next. So I'm very proud cool. in that aspect how it came out. So Three of a Perfect Pair is my opening track, and in my alternate history universe, whatever you want to call it, um, is the band's first single. And it does very well as a first single. So we open with Three of a Perfect Pair, and then we go into Neil and Jack and Me, which ironically is the opening track off beat. Um, Neil and Jack and Me, although it's my second track in my world, it's the third single off this record. This album does very well in (laughs) this alternate (laughs) universe that I've established. Um, So Neil and Jack and Me is track two. Then, Then we go into Neurotica. And the Mm. reason why I picked Neurotic as the third track, but also on my side one, is because this, for my album, is the fan favorite. It's placed here because this is just reassuring those hardcore KC fans, like, hey, guys, we're not leaving you, you know, under the dust. Like, you know, this this is still your music. Like, we, like, you are our fans at the core. Like, yes, we're trying to expand our audience, but we're not forgetting about you as well. Uh, plus, not to mention, I just think um, Neil and Jack and me, the end of that song just flows really well into the opening of Neurotica. So I like that placement, too. So Neurotica cool. is my third track. And then my side one closes with Model Man. Wow. Which I've expressed how much in the last episode, how much I love, love, love this song. And on mine, this is the second single that King Crimson uh, releases to promote this record and mm-hmm. out of the three singles model man is the one that does the best hmm. why because i said so <laughs> <laughs> so that is so model man closes my side one and then we go into side two and side two is the more experimental side um once this album's been out for a couple of years fans are hesitant at first but overall it's it's received well in the King Crimson community and side two ends up being the fan favorite side. Uh, side one, the th- uh, three singles continue to do very well, but it's side two mm-hmm. um, that that's the one that fans talk about. Um, so my the hardcore fans, that is. Um, so track five, uh, which is my opening track for side two, Sleepless. Yes. Then we go into track six, which is Waiting Man. Mm-hmm. After Waiting Man, we go into track seven, which is Dig Me. And then Ooh. we close. My closing track is the extended version of Requiem that was released uh, with the 50th anniversary singles. That is a, uh, a very interesting list. That that uh, that ending track makes you go, oh, don't worry. We're still King Crimson. Absolutely. Like, it yeah. ends, like, you know, just like my... Uh, my, my pro, um, process with putting erotica where i placed it i wanted to close with a track that was still very like 
experimental King Crimson. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how I approach the record. You know, again, uh, with the mindset of, yeah, we want to widen our audience, but we want to stay true to the fan base. I really, I really like you. You put a lot more thought into it than I did. <laughs> so I appreciate that. I, uh, it's nice that you kind of have a theme to, to uh, with yours, you know. Dude, and, I uh, I, act- I love I do this stuff all the time. Some of my favorite bands. Um, there's actually two more King Crimson albums. I think I might wait till the end of the episode because uh, one of the albums is one of the ones we're going to talk about today. Um, where I think I'm going to try doing a alternate sequencing of my own. But guys, as Rob said, these are our perfect beat track listings. Um, when the episode is posted, we're going to have a Spotify playlist of Rob's as well as yep. mine. Um, and let Check us know what you think of them. Yeah, and if not, and we'd also love to hear like what you would put as the perfect beat. You know, if uh, give us a sequence of, or I mean, hell, maybe you want to put every track from both albums and just you know reorder them, or just reorder the albums as they are. I'd be interested to hear what you guys have to say. Make the ultimate King Crimson double album. Also, before we move on, I just because you had had me thinking here with mine, I (laughs) didn't have what I imagined was side A and what I imagined was side B, and I think. Uh, side A would go Three of a Perfect Pair, Satori and Tangier, Waiting Man, Absent lover, Lovers, and then Sleepless. And then the other side, Side B, would be kind of the more eccentric stuff, which would be Neurotica, Nuages, Dig Me, and Industry. I think that would be the way to do it. And I also should mention that I lo- I one of the reasons I wanted Absent Lovers in there is because it's not on the original album, and I wanted it on there. Much as I'm sure why why you put Requiem there, the, the, uh, the extended version, because that's not the original one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, those those two tracks certainly deserve, from what I've heard of the other version of Requiem 2, kind of deserve to be on the actual album. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, man, but let's, let's move on to really what today's episode is all about. So we are in, I guess, what we can call Phase 4 of King Crimson, and we enter mm-hmm. the 90s era. So today we're going to talk about the band's last three records, which are... 1995's Thrack, that was louder than I needed to be, 2000's The Construction <laughs> of Light, and 2003's The Power to Believe. So why don't we do I'm this, excited. Rob? I'm going to give us, we're, we're going to start with Thrack, of course. I'm going to give us an overview of Thrack, and then if you want to share the band members, and then we can get started. Okay, sounds good. Let's get right into it. All right, so... Thrack is the 11th studio album by King Crimson, released in 1995. It was the successor to the mini-album Room. Uh, So just a little um, side note with that. So the band got back together. I don't have my exact dates, but early 90s, like 93, 94. Um, And they were touring before they put together Thrack. And Room uh, consists of some of the songs that would end up uh, being on Thrack. Um, one thing that Thrack is very well known for is it's the lineup that is called the Double Trio lineup, which basically what that is, is Double Trio, you have um, two of every instrument. So two guitar players, mm-hmm. and we'll get into the band members in a second. The two guitar players, two bassists, and two drummers as well. Uh, when This was an interesting quote that I read in Uncut Magazine. When explaining what Thrack means... Uh, one of Fripp's many quotes was, uh, Thrack means 117 guitars almost hitting the same chord simultaneously. 
<laughs> that is so something he would say. Yeah, right. Um, Thrack reached number 58 on the UK charts. This would actually be the last album of theirs to reach the charts at all. Did it chart in America? I think it did. I think. I didn't see an, any information about any US charts for any of these albums. Um, you, uh, you keep going, and I'm just going to look it up. All right, yeah, go ahead. Um, I believe in the. I want to emphasize I believe, so please, if anyone can correct us, that would be great. But I do believe we are listening to the original version, not the 2015 remix uh, that was done by Jacko Jacks. Could be wrong, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing was, what followed this album was the live improv album, Thorac Attack, which I'll be honest with you, I've not had the chance to listen to yet. Um, but that is highly regarded. Um, amongst King Crimson fans, the Thrak Attack live improv album, which takes some of the tracks off Thrak, um, and it's just full improv. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of that on. Um, oh no, I guess it isn't on the on the uh, Spotify version here. By the way, Thrak did chart in the U.S. It hit uh, number eighty-three. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it did not chart anywhere else except for the U.S. and the U.K. From as far as according to Wikipedia, anyway. So. 83 in the U.S., 58 in the U.K. All right, so band members. And for the band members, the lineup is... So this is um, actually... this. It's basically the same lineup from the previous era, plus two. So we have uh, Robert Fripp, also known as Mr. Frippo Pants, on guitar, Mellotron, soundscapes, vocals, and production... We have Adrian Ballou on guitar, lead vocals, and production. We have Tony Levin on bass, extended range bass, electric upright bass, funk fingers, backing vocals, production, and just straight-up awesomeness because Tony Levin is a god. Bill Bruford on drums and production. And then the two newcomers, we have Trey Gunn on the Chapman stick, the war guitar, backing vocals, and production. And we have Pat Mastoletto on percussion and production as well. They all have production credits here. Pat Mastoletto, who, by the way, is in the current lineup of King Crimson yes. and has been in King Crimson since since this uh, this period, actually. So this was his first introduction. He didn't take a break from the band? He's he's consistently been with uh, the band since Thrack? As far as I know, I'm not sure uh, as far as the studio albums go, but he's been on uh, all three of these studio albums and he's currently in the band. I don't know if he's been... I don't know how much he's been in and out of... Um, the band between Power to Believe and the current day, but yeah, as far as I know, he's because I, well, I think wasn't Gavin Harrison with him for a while. Oh, you know what I think it was. Too. I think um, before they broke up in the late two thousands, um, Gavin Harrison joined, but Pat Mastelotto was still in the band. So I think you're right. I think he's been consistently with the band since Thrax. Yeah, anybody, any of you crazy King Crimson fans who know this, just <laughs> just, just correct yeah, please us correct here. us. But I, I but think yeah. I think you're right. But anyways, okay, so let's dive into the track listing. I do want to note that this is going to be the first album where we also don't have the vinyl format, where we have side one, side two, maybe the vinyl re-releases if they even exist. Um, you know, of course, they're vinyl; they're broken down into different sides. But the '90s, this was like the peak. Vinyl wasn't even a thing, so we just have our 15 tracks. So let's dive into track one, which is Room, and right off the bat, you listen to this song, and you're like, all right, so this is like 
this is familiar, but not in a bad way. This is this yep. is this is familiar KC. This is like the wet and Bruford. Um I just blanked out on Fripp's name. Wow. <laughs> the wet and Bruford Fripp era, the red era, of course. Um this song almost sounds like it could be the cousin to red. I love this track. I think this is such a killer opener. It's a great opener. It's it's essentially King Crimson's way of saying we're back in my in my opinion. Yeah. Um it's just a very it's that dark riff heavy um almost metal kind of sound except it's kind of you could definitely I actually think if we could talk about the album cover for just a second. The album cover it, it's it's looks like it's a I Still can't really quite figure out what it is. It's like a sheet of metal. It kind of has like this industrial look. That's the sound you can expect in this album. Yeah, and that's that's um, that's a good point. Uh, at a time when industrial metal was pretty much hitting mainstream popularity, you had bands like Tool and um, I don't know, name more industrial bands. <laughs> Tool, Nine Inch Nails, uh, Ministry. Yeah, Nine Inch Nails. Thank you. Like that, those kind of bands coming out, and so. You can very much tell, especially with this track, it's got a lot of the old, but there's also this new vibe. As oh, well. absolutely, and and I, and I should clarify that too when I say like, yeah, it's the cousin to Red. This song still very much sounds like of the period it was released, the time period. This is very, this is like, this is without a doubt KC meets the '90s. This this is not something yes. you would have heard in 1974. Um, so definitely more contemporary of this of its time, and it absolutely draws influences as well as the uh, the two subsequent albums um, from a lot of those big industrial bands. Um, but I love this track. I think this is a great opener. Yeah, it's an awesome opener. I I again like you, you saying cousin to Red. Yeah, it's 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 a classic. It's it's it reminds me of you know how King Crimson would open. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, like how they would open some of their albums in the 70s, that period, you know, especially uh, with a track like Red or even um, it's kind of or even like some of the Larks without the, you know, uh, quieter bits. Yeah. <laughs> you know? so, so let's move on to track two, uh, Coda Marine 475. I don't really have a whole lot to say about this song. Um, it's it's a just quick a quick little, little interlude. interlude. Um, I'm going to have some beef with all of the interludes on these three records that we're talking about today. Um, but this one's pretty cool. I like it. Um, I don't want to say it's a nice break when we just got off of one track, but it's definitely kind of a, a nice break to what leads into track three, which track three is one of my favorite tracks off this album. Dinosaur. Dinosaur let's yeah. talk about that. It's a, it's, this is a contender for me too. It's um, so I think something else should be stated. So obviously the sound here, given what we said, and I'm sorry I'm just talking about the sound and not talking about the track, but I'll I'll make it quick and get right into it. Um, the there is definitely a different sound uh, for in this period than the last period. A lot of the pop sensibilities are gone, although they're not they're not completely gone. They're just not prevalent, I guess is what you'd say. And what's interesting about Dinosaur is it's really our first look at what a heavier kind of classic sounding King Crimson sounds like with Adrian Ballou. And I like that because I think his vocal style actually fits with it pretty well. And you really get to hear like 
Adrian Blue stretch out vocally in this in this uh, in this track, and I really really. Like it makes it. me wish <laughs> now that his, you know the current incarnation of King Crimson pretty much covers the whole catalog. It makes me wish that we got to hear Adrian Ballou sing some more of those, you know, court from Red era tunes, because like, this yep. is like, this really is like the Red sound, but with the discipline lineup. Yeah, with it, it and with some of the, and when I say like the pop is gone, it's not gone because a lot of melodies and a lot of the way, a lot of the ways that, um, Blue writes lyrics and uh, writes melodies from that era shines through this, but it's with that heavier. Yeah, absolutely. Sound. And so that's what I like about it. It's a marriage. Yeah, absolutely. Of it, you know? um, but as far as dinosaur goes, um, I, this mm -hmm. is just a killer track. Um, I think you can interpret the lyrics, um, what they mean, a couple different ways. Um, when I listen to it, I mm -hmm. kind of lean more towards um, that the song is about. You know, like we're a dinosaur rock band, we're a dad rock band, um, but we're yeah. proving that that's not the case. That um, we can kick ass just as much as our current contemporaries <laughs> do, um, and this song showcases that, in my opinion. My interpretation is a little different, actually. Um, I've interpreted it with certain lyrics, like um, uh, uh, there's one line where it's like, "Ignorance has always been something I excel in." I stuff like that. I think of it as somebody who is older and is set in their ways and is just, it almost sounds like the song is about somebody who is older reflecting on their life and realizing how having their, having a kind of um, closed mind has kind of not been good for them in the past. Yeah, I, you know what I'm saying? There's just certain, certain lines that make me and think, I think of that. You know, you know? Also, because I have the lyrics pulled up, um, and going off of your interpretation, I think you could absolutely interpret it that way. I mean, the opening line, long ago and far away in a different age when I was a dumb young guy, that yep. absolutely yep. goes along with what you just said. So I think I think this song mm -hmm. can absolutely, and that's what makes a great song, is that it can be up, uh, open to interpretation, um, but I think both of us have solid um, interpretations of the track. Like I said, yeah, and I just love love the little nods to like actual dinosaurs, like, <laughs> which is what I didn't like about the song at first. I will say, my first listen, I wasn't because I remember liking this song back in the day, but Thrack was an album that I hadn't listened to in a long time. So I, for these three, uh -huh. I've listened to all of them four times. Um, and my first mm -hmm. listen of Dinosaurs, like, eh, I don't know if I. Have, really care for the song anymore but my second listen it it grew on me and i got i got beyond the mm -hmm. you know the actual dinosaur <laughs> you know i happen to be a humongous fan of dinosaurs in general and they were my first love as a kid so i just well there it. you go <laughs> that's all <laughs> i have to say it, it is a standout track it's <laughs> it's definitely one of the best off this record but uh yeah. track four i almost said side four track four is actually probably my favorite off the album and that is walking, walking on, on air. air um we talked about adrian blue a little bit or you did before um but this song along with another song that we'll get to um i i love all things adrian blue i loved the more paranoia mm -hmm. post-punk vocals that were on the discipline trilogy mm -hmm. you know talking heads 
the King Crimson. I love that. But I love that we're hearing a more soulful side to his vocals. And this and this just yes, reminds like me why too. he's my favorite KC vocalist. Um, this song also kind of reminds me, here I go with the pronunciation, uh, kind of reminds me of that Matakadusa. Thank you, Matakudasai. I knew I wasn't going to get it. I tried. I even looked it up before we recorded <laughs> to make sure I didn't make an ass of myself. <laughs> still did, damn it. Oh, well. But it reminds me of that track, too. Um, I just, I love the guitar solo in the track. Like I said, Adrian's vocals are just out of this world. It's also a nice little break from the heavier, because you really, oh, I mean, aside from Coda Marine, it's like a couple seconds of like a bit of an ambient piece. But the first two tracks are pretty heavy, so it's nice to hear some light, um, you know, for lack of a better term, ballady kind of tune. And uh, his vocals are fantastic. Oh, they really are. Um, so let's move on to track five, Be Boom, Be Boom. Uh, this is another song I really like. Um, you've been warned. There's going to be a lot of tool comparisons throughout this episode. Uh-huh. Uh, and this song's no exception to that, uh, which actually, I guess this one kind of predates tool in some aspects because the, the drumming, Pat's drumming on this one. Uh, well, I don't know if it's Pat or Bill. I'm not sure. Um, it, I think you're, it's both. You probably is both. both you're right. Um, very tribal sounding, which reminds me of like Lateralis, mm-hmm. Ten Thousand Days, even the new Tool record too. Um, yeah, I think it, this is a good track that kind of just showcases the power of the two drummers because they're both incredible mm-hmm. drummers. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's like you you pretty much hit the nail on the head with tribal. I was listening to this this morning, and I'm you know uh, and I'm and just some of the stuff they do on the drums is, yeah. is crazy. It's cool, a really cool, it's a cool track. track. Um, and it doesn't overstay its yes. welcome either. It, like they could have easily because it's King Crimson. This could have been like for some reason eight minutes long, and it's and, and I've been pretty vocal about that. There are some King Crimson instrumentals specifically mm-hmm. that do, quite frankly, overstay <laughs> their welcome. Uh, this one, I think, the track length is perfect, uh, and it goes really well. Uh, into track six, which is another one of my favorites. Track the title track. Yes. Holy fuck! This song up to this point probably <laughs> the heaviest King Crimson song. Uh, I think you're probably right. It's uh, it's somehow a heavier, um, darker yeah. red, like even more so than Vroom was. It's just it it thunders, you know. It's it's. Like, it, it literally is like, I mean, the song Dinosaur, it would be like some, it reminds me of like, you know, I don't know, Godzilla stomping through, like, you know, boom, 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 you know, it's just very heavy. It's crazy. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, I don't really have a whole lot to add to it. I just, I, I just think it's, it's a fun instrumental. It's another one like B-Boom in the, you know, in the sense that it doesn't overstay its welcome. I think it's like six minutes and change something like that uh so the good length for an instrumental especially a kc instrumental one of the th- one of the things that king crimson does best is tracks like red and vroom and thrack and there's a there's another ho- one on here on an album we're going to talk about today that i can think of too uh as well as a couple of others i like when they do like the four to say five six minute instrumental that's the dark thunderous like very riff heavy um instrumental and thrack is one of the best ones unquestionably um there's just and it arguably of all the ones i've heard the the heaviest and the darkest one 
and really shows the prowess and the the, the sheer power of of the band, especially with you know, like you said, it's the, this is the double trio lineup. So you have that double bass, the double drum. This is where we really start to hear that awesome. the double trio concept mm-hmm. was successful because, like on paper, yeah. it sounds like a great idea. But then, but I would, I, and I don't know. I'm not, you know, I I remember when we started getting ready to listen to this era. And remembering that, oh, yeah, that's right, the double trio thing. And I was worried that that, that was not going to mm-hmm. sound very good to me. But this this track really displays that not only was it a good idea on paper, but it was successful. It, it really does work. Yes. And you hear everybody's parts. Which, yeah, it's... I, you know, uh, right, I, I, just, I don't really know what else to add to it. It's just a really cool instrument. yeah. And it's it's great to both blast in your car speakers or listen to on your headphones because it's you can hear yeah, so absolutely. much of the track. So now, so the six first six tracks, all fantastic. Even Coda Marine Four Seventy Five. Mm-hmm. Um, even though that's just an interlude, it's it it still sounds pretty cool. Um, this is where we get to the point where uh, now there are bits that are either boring to me or just, mm-hmm. I don't know. There's still some good stuff coming up, but this is where the album starts to kind of fall apart. I don't want to say fall apart. That's dramatic. But after, it just, yeah, it after we're just you. getting off of six solid tracks, um, this is where I got to a point where I realized this is an album I want to, approach my own sequencing too as well so i hinted at that before when we talked about our perfect beat track listings this is an mm-hmm. album and I, I don't think it's going to be something that i cover on the last episode maybe we can do our own thing down the road or i can do my own thing but this is an album along with starless and bible black i've decided i want to try to put together my own uh track listing too um mm-hmm. but the next track sorry to get off there uh is inner garden no one this is a pretty track i mean it's short um but it's just i don't know it just doesn't really serve a purpose it just sounds incomplete to me which i'm sure was intentional um we'll talk about it at the end but i actually like the 50th anniversary version of ender garden more uh which like i said we'll talk Mm -hmm. about in a bit but what are your thoughts on this one uh, I think also just uh, because they go together, I th- I'm going to talk about Inner Garden one and two. I actually really like both. Um, I like the, I really like his vocals and I love the lyrics. I was actually it wasn't until I listened to it this morning that I was really listening to the lyrics and I was like, wow, this is actually like very pastoral yeah. kind of. His vocals are great and, uh, and it's a paints a pretty picture. Like I- I'm actually very impressed. Oh, with it, the lyrics it's lyrically it's great. His vocals are great and I agree. It's a pretty track. Um, yeah. That's why I recommend checking out the complete version, which was released as a 50th anniversary single, because uh, it's the two tracks combined. It's a little more stripped back, uh, but I almost wish that they originally went with that version. Um, Sequencing-wise, I'm not too sure where you would place it. It might sound like it's a little out of place, um, but that's been the version I've been mm-hmm. listening to is the complete version, because you're right. There, there is a great song there. Um, just, I don't know, separating the two parts. Uh, they're pretty spread out on the album, too. Uh, I just don't understand why they. Now I was uh, that. but that's that's just me. 
I was a I was a bad boy, and I for every other one, um, every other podcast we've done, I've listened to all of the. 50th anniversary singles and I just blanked and didn't do it on these three albums so oopsie I'm gonna have to listen to the, that though now because I really enjoy, I actually really enjoyed both tracks so to hear a more complete version would be yeah I would definitely would check it out fun. <laughs> uh, so that brings us to track eight which is people uh this is one I really Dude, like this this one. is one I've been uh, kind of uh, back and forth with if, if, if you don't mind me cutting in uh this one didn't stand out to me at first but again, this morning I was listening to it, and um, I think what you I like about keep this cutting is it's, out, it's a bit way. of a throwback to. Yeah. That's okay. Oh, am I? I'm sorry. Uh, it's. Uh, I think I should be recording. Okay, so that's that's all that matters. But anyway, um, so with people, uh, I really feel like it's a throwback to the the previous era of King Crimson. It's kind of got the mm. '80s sort of vibe to it. I like the melody. Um, the uh, the lyrics are a little silly. They have that kind of eccentric blue vibe, but I actually do like them, and uh, I like his vocals on it too. I don't know. It's it's kind of a fun track. It's a, it's pretty upbeat, and it again breaks. I think up the because album you mentioned good. that, um, um, it kind of goes back to the eccentric, you know, nature of you know a lot of his vocals on the '80s albums. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, I would appreciate it more. If it was on one of those other albums, to me, it just sounds completely out yeah. of place on this record. I think that's my issue with it because I don't think it's a bad song per se, um, but I, I just think it's it just feels out of place to me on Thread. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess we both just feel differently about it. It like I said, it definitely didn't um, stand out to me at first, but I think I really. I think now it's, I've actually really liked the track. I, I, maybe upon more listening, maybe if you listen to the back half of this album a little more, it might start to click for you or not. But um, I really I really enjoyed that tune. I think it could stand to be a little shorter. Yeah, it's yeah I, think that, long, I think that's the other so thing. That um, might be part of the problem. To this one. Like, whereas a song like yeah. uh, Dinosaur, you know, doesn't overstay its welcome at the six minute mark. Um, people could have probably been trimmed mm-hmm. a good minute and a half, two minutes. But um, still a decent song, like I said, just in my opinion. Uh, a little out of place on on track. But let's uh, let's move on to track nine, which is Radio One. So out of all the interludes, uh, Radio One and Two, I just think are pointless. I, I would just remove them from the record altogether. They're, they're they're not really to me. They don't really harm the record, but they also don't really add much to it so I'm i think we were, we were just talking well. about <laughs> you know? track list uh, tra- i'm not track list i'm sorry track length yeah. um we were talking about our perfect beat mm-hmm. track listings um you know and i said that you know 35 to 45 minutes to me is the ideal album length um this is just like i think combined two and a half minutes those two songs um that just could have been removed um again they're not anything bad they're just yeah, i agree they're just pointless <laughs> you know that's that's really how I feel about them. I will say I don't think that the um, overall the uh, and we'll well maybe we'll talk. I can possibly go um, on about this as we, when we finish up the track listing. But I don't think this album is too long in general, though. So that's why I'm saying it doesn't necessarily hurt it because I don't feel like the album is like way too long. It, it feels like it's it's just fine to me. You know, it's about an hour long, so that's it's really not not that long. Um, it, maybe it could be, I don't know. It, it, 
it doesn't nothing seems like it overstays okay. its welcome Fair in enough. my opinion um so then that brings us to track 10 which is one time uh this is another one of my favorites off the album uh this is just another beautiful adrian blue ballad his vocals are great yes. we we talked about with uh, i think thrack was the example that we used where we really on the instrumental side of things hear how great the double trio sound works i think you also hear it really well on this song um and this is a ballad piece but with this song you hear everyone's you know contribution to the track throughout Mm -hmm. um this is hot without doubt it is the album if you um this is another one i think the lyrics could be interpreted a couple different ways um and with this one i actually had to kind of do some reading up because i was a little bit more on the fence of you know what the song meant but um i was on a i was on a forum a forum songmeetings.com and someone uh said that he thinks the song is about life is fragile and we never know what hardships we may come to endure in life and that there may be no reward for our efforts we're like beggars when it comes to our future plans and their certainty certainty i'm sorry and our chances of changing what life has in store for us yeah. <laughs> wow, that's pretty interesting. That's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty deep. deep. But I, I think that kind of summarizes the song. Yeah, and uh, the the some of the best vocal melody um, that he's done, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know what it is about about the vocals in this track, but it's so good. I really, really liked. I really just found this track to be probably one of. A long, it's tough for me between this one and um, Walking on Air. They Same. both are really, really like good light tracks, you know. Yeah, no, they're they're both some of the most beautiful KC songs. Um, and I think mm-hmm. we talked about in an early episode that King Crimson ballads are just not discussed enough. I mean, Exiles is one <laughs> of my all time favorite King Crimson songs, yeah. and that's a ballad. Um, and I would most certainly put one time up there as well too people always talk about the dark side of king crimson but king crimson has always been balancing dark and light i mean all the way back from the first album you have lighter tracks like i talked to the wind or um even even epitaph has a light vibe though dark lyrics you know i mean it's not just about the heavy dark side of it there is there are two sides to king crimson oh absolutely and and the and the lighter side of particularly tracks like this like um, to me, Inner Garden, to Walking on Air, and others. I mean, it's that's some of the best their best material, as far as I'm concerned. I agree. So, just looking at track eleven and twelve, uh, we could skip them. We could skip those. Much. I mean, I, yeah. I know for me, my opinion's no different with Radio Two and Inner much. Garden Two. <laughs> I'm sure yours is the same. So that brings us to track thirteen: Sex, Sleep, Eat, Drink, Dream. Um, it's fine. It's okay. It's a, it's it was a fun track. It's a cool, I thought it was fun, kind of funky. Upbeat track. Yeah. Um, just not a favorite of mine. Uh, like uh, people in the sense that it's not a song I dislike. I hate. Um, I, I just it's fine. The only difference is mm-hmm. this one doesn't feel out of place to me like um, people does. But mm-hmm. you know, like I said, it's just it's it's a fun track. But 
not a favorite of mine. I, I, probably when I go to, to make my own sequencing, probably a track I would not include in mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I I enjoy the track well enough. It's I'm I'm I'd say it's slightly above average, maybe. <laughs> like I, I I don't like I I actually I think it's kind of growing on me the more I listen to it. Um, but yeah, it's not particularly. You know, I think we would disagree. Where I, I think I like people more than uh, sex, sleep, eat, drink, dream. But I think I, I would like. I, I <clears throat> excuse me. I like people of the two. I like people more too. Um, oh really? Okay, you do. I okay. do. I think it's the better song. But people to me just feels more out of place on this mm-hmm. record than sex, sleep, eat, drink, and dream. I oh okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right, so then that brings us to track 14 and track 15. Uh, and I purposely put those two together. Uh, we have Vroom Vroom and <laughs> Vroom Vroom Coda. Um, <laughs> these are cool. I meant to put a playlist of just Vroom, Vroom Vroom, and Vroom Vroom <laughs> Coda. Uh, I haven't done it yet, but I, I want to do that because uh, just listen to those three tracks together, I'm sure. It's just amazing in of itself. But uh, yeah, I mean, I they're both great. Great way to close the record. Room Vroom is like a deconstruction, but also a reconstruction at the same time of Vroom. Um, and somehow it manages to get heavier. <laughs> yes, it does. And f- this is one of the few times where King Crimson a- ends an album with two instrumentals and I'm not bothered by it. They're both kind of short, which is probably helps. And yes, they both, especially and they we don't, were just they complaining don't really about noodle. that before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, they don't really noodle. They're they're solid like heavy industrial tracks you know they kind of i think the first one kind of expands upon what the first room does and then the second one second one kind of has a light bit at the end doesn't it or no i no i'm thinking of um never mind i'm thinking of the next album i'm sorry okay i confused the two tracks but yeah they're um i think they end the album well and you know you start with that heavy sound and go out with it i think that was a good way to do it Absolutely. Um, and I agree with having uh, two instrumentals back to back. After this one, it worked. And I think I go back to the track length again. I think it's part of the reason mm-hmm. why that worked, having two instrumentals back to back. I think these two songs mm-hmm. combined are 10 minutes, whereas we've had other uh, records in the past that the two instrumentals that closed back to back were like 20 minutes. So I think that length, <laughs> you know, time length has something yeah. to do with it as well, too, why it's a little more accessible to the ears but these are also just great groovy instrumentals so i think this is a great way to close the record but i am being weary and mindful of our time so let's talk about bonus and b-sides okay go for it there weren't a lot for this one um we have the edit edited version of dinosaur uh it's on the 40th anniversary edition of thrack as well as it was released as a 50th anniversary single um, it's just an edited version. I would recommend listening to the album version. That's just me. Same. Uh, but it's still cool. Uh, but listen to the album version. <laughs> yeah, I listened to the single version, and I, I like the album version better, Same. personally. Um, and then this one I talked about already, but the complete version in Inner Garden also released as a 50th anniversary uh, single. I was listening to David Singleton's commentary about it again today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was just saying that it was a fly on the wall recording in the sense that just, you know, the recording button was on. Um, so he just, you know, recorded Fripp and Blue. Uh, like I said, it's a little, at least to me, it sounds a little more stripped back 
compared to the final album version. Uh, I think mm-hmm. actually this version, I might be wrong, uh, this version might have been on the Vroom EP. Uh, but regardless, huh. um, I like it. I kind of wish this was the version that ended up on the album. But I guess like people, in the sense, this version might have not fit on Thrax. So I guess I understand why they did what they mm-hmm. did. Uh, but this is my preferred version of Inner Garden. I've got more uh, homework to do, so I will definitely listen to that <laughs> and see what I think. I might listen to all three and see what my, my opinion is there. Yes, definitely check out that version. But top three for this mm-hmm. one, Rob. Top three for me? Uh, I'm going to have to go... Uh, I think honestly, I'm gonna have to go. Man, it's it's kind of tough. I really like all the instrumentals, but I gotta be honest. I think I'd have to go like "Walking on Air" dinosaur one time. Wow! So same songs for my top three, just slightly different order. Uh, I didn't. Um, I didn't even. That wasn't even in order. Those are just probably the three. I, I don't know. I think maybe "Walking on Air" is my favorite. Uh, between "One Time" and "Dinosaur," I'm not sure. Maybe "Dinosaur" just because it showcases the heavier side of it. But I don't know. I like "One Time" a lot. Yeah, no, that's you know? that's hard. But mine would be, and this would be the order. <laughs> it's it's a talk. Like one and two are close, but I think I'm gonna go with "Walking on Air" as my number one. Uh, then "One Time," and then "Dinosaur" would be my number three. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think our overall opinions on the album are slightly different, though, because I really, um, I really think I, I think re- list, re- listening to this was good for me because I really appreciate the album more. In fact, I think this is probably the album for me, at least thus far, that really my opinions changed on it a lot, and that I really like it. Same, um, and I, and I agree. It seems like overall. Um, we both have the same feelings about this album. I might be a little more critical about it than you, mm-hmm. but I think we both mutually really like this one. Um, I do this, think this... it's a little bloated, especially the second half. I mentioned before those first six tracks are just back-to-back flawless, and then you know from track seven on, it gets a little, um, a little bloated for me personally. I also mm-hmm. think, and look, guys, I'm not like an audio file, audio X, you know, like I, I'm not, you know, I'm not an auteur, if you will, of, uh, you know, like audio. But um, to me, um, this record does sound a little muddy compared to other King Crimson albums. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I all in all, I, I love this album. Um, I wish it was just a tad bit shorter. And I think that's where you and I disagree a little bit. I do think there's a better better album here uh, if we just trimmed off 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. Um, yeah, I could see that. I, I, I would be good either way, personally. But I'm, I'm, um, I'm looking too down the road for this one. I decided as we were listening to these three records, I'm going to do my own sequencing for this one. And as I said before, Starless and Bible Black as well. Um, so I'm really interested. That I will... That I would be very interested in. Yeah, <laughs> but overall, I, I really do love this one. I think this is going to end up uh, on the higher side of my final rankings. Same here, yeah. So, all right, so that's Thrak. Let's move on to the construction of life. Okay. Okay, so we are going to move on to Construction of Light. Oopsie, there we go. There's Construction <laughs> of Light. I just was putting the album cover up. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't even know what you were doing, but that still made me chuckle. <laughs> so, 
The Construction of Light, uh, album number 12. It was released in May of 2000 on Virgin Records. Uh, Mm -hmm. This was the end of the double trio. Sorry, guys, that was a one-off thing. Uh, End of the double trio uh, by the release of The Construction of Light. Longtime members Bill Bruford, who debuted on 1973's Lark's Tongues and Aspect, Aspect, sorry, and bassist Tony Levin, who joined in 1981, have also left King Crimson. I knew Bruford left. I didn't know that Tony Levin was not on these last two albums. Just a little. I didn't know until relatively recently. Yeah, I thought I was kind of surprised by that too. Um, we are for this one because with Thrack, I was questioning. This one, we are indeed listening to the original mix. We're going to talk more about the remix in a little bit. Um, <clears throat> just some fun facts about this one. Uh, Robert Fripp was unhappy with this album, considering that it doesn't convey the power of the music to a greater extent, this is a Fripp quote, by the way, than any of the King Crimson Studio albums. He feels that it hampered by the conditions on which it was made. None of the music was played live before it was recorded, and Pat Mastelotto not using his preferred hybrid acoustic slash electronic kit. It was all electronic, I believe, for this album. Um, Fripp's attention Mm -hmm. being focused on writing and playing over the recording and the production. So, and that and that's what was interesting because that's very typical for King Crimson that a lot of their songs were played live uh, before they became mm-hmm. studio tracks. This was like one of the very few exceptions. Um, and then the hmm. other thing was the uh, King Crimson Projects, which is P-R-O-J-E, capital K, C-T-S, um, those of you that are see what they did there, they put Casey yes, in there, <laughs> uh, which they do that a lot for the tracks on this album. <laughs> yeah. Um, those of you that are not familiar with the projects, um, that was sort of like a side thing that they did. There were several different incarnations. They were mostly active in between 1997 to 1999, but have performed intermittently since these earlier projects up to project six. Um, were devoted to instrumental and heavily improvised music. All of them included King Crimson guitarist Robert Fripp, who described their purpose as being research and development. Such a Fripp quote. <laughs> research and development for King Crimson. Such a, Two later spinoff. I love how this. I love how this band, like Fripp, does the weirdest. Like, <laughs> there's so many. Like, um. Um, entrance, what, what's the word? Um, uh, eccentricities um, that be, that Fripp kind of puts into mm-hmm. King Crimson. Like the fact that there's a research and development portion of King Crimson <laughs> via these projects is just, it's, it's just, yeah. I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> also, two later spinoff projects were of a different nature, but both involving former King Crimson members. One of those was actually more recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2011's Scarcity of Angels? No, Scarcity of Miracles. I'm sorry. Scarcity of Miracles. Uh, that yep. was actually considered a project's project. That was like Fripp, Jacko, Mel Collins, and was that it? Um, so it was like Fripp, Jacko, Mel Collins, Gavin Harrison. Yeah. I think Tony Levin. Yeah, it was like, it was 
it, it included pretty much current members of the band. For the yeah, most part. anyways. Anyway. Uh, band members, Rob, go. The band members are Robert Fripp on guitar and keyboards, Adrian Ballou on guitar and vocals, Trey Gunn is uh, stepping in as the main bass player, also war guitar, and Pat Mastoletto it, uh, is the sole drummer in production as... Bill Bruford and Tony Levin, as previously stated, left the band. So we are down to four and guys then again. There were four. So let's yes. get started. So I feel like I've been saying so a lot. Uh, track one. Here we go. You ready? And the mm-hmm. reward for the worst King Crimson song ever <laughs> goes to Prozac Blues. Come at me. It is the worst King Crimson song. I actually really like this song. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fair because I can see why people don't like it. So the first time I ever heard this song, I actually watched, uh, I think it's King Crimson Live in okay. Japan in 2000. And I was like, and they this song played. I'm like, what is this song? And he, uh, uh, Blue didn't have the vocal effect on it. Uh, so I actually heard this version okay. of the song live without the vocal, uh, like the weird vocal effect on it. And, that's... and then when I heard it on the album, I'm like, what is with this? So, But I kind of got used to it because I'm actually quite familiar with this album, believe it or not. And that was my biggest and, issue um, with it. I thought that that sounded dated in 2000, let alone 2019. Yeah. And I'm like, and today I was actually thinking, literally today I was listening to the song and I'm like, what is with this? Like, what were they thinking with this? Like, with having his... I don't know if there's some kind of effect on Baloo's voice or something or what. And I was like, what were they thinking with that? And then I was... I kind of had thought about it. And I'm, I can only think of two reasons. Number one, Prozac Blues. I wonder if they were going for that deep blues voice sound. I think they were, yeah. Um, but the other, the other uh, thing that I was thinking with it is if you listen to the lyrics, which I actually kind of like. I think it's kind of a funny song. Uh, they might be trying to go for like the vibe that the character in the song has, because it's if you listen to the lyrics, they're very dark and kind of like it's obviously about mm-hmm. depression and abusing prescription drugs and stuff. And it's like, oh man, this is probably what a dude sounds like who's like all like hawked up on Prozac and Jack Daniels, you know. <laughs> so maybe that's why they went with the vocal effect. It doesn't work for a lot of people i think but i actually like the song well you're gonna have to send me that um, you're gonna have to send me a link of that live version because i i do want to check that out now um but i highly recommend that whole concert by the way it's awesome okay amazing definitely send that to me after we're done recording um but yeah Mm, no and and maybe that will change because there there's definitely a good song there but god whatever he's i like the riff it's just not it is a good. No, riff. that's hey, that's totally fair. It's it was a little off-putting for me when I first heard it, but I've heard it. I've heard this album, believe it or not, a lot, and uh, I um, I actually like the song. Also, side note: the spelling of this is P R O Z A. Once again, capital K C. Prozac Blues. A couple <laughs> other tracks are like that as well, but um, let's move on to track mm-hmm. two. Uh, that's the title track, "The Construction of Light," and. I'm going to tell you because after just getting off of Prozac Blues, like, oh boy, here we go. Like, this is like, this is the worst King Crimson album. I know a lot of fans put this on the very bottom. I got to tell you, 
I think the construction of light is one of their best songs. Uh, I was gonna say top five songs of their this period, top ten overall. Wow, overall, okay. King Crimson songs. I would say I this song this song is the reason that I listen back to this. I again I'm pretty sure the first time I heard this was on that live King Crimson um, video. And I thought it was amazing. And when you hear the studio version, I love what's going on. Um, like, uh, blues vocals almost sound, um, I don't know, for some reason it reminds me of, like, raindrops. Like, there's just different, like, I know that's a weird comparison, but the way he's like, you know, pain, day, sun, beauty, die. Like, I, 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 there's some very weird kind of ethereal quality to the lyrics and it goes so well with the music as well I, as the instrumentals of the first half and interesting enough and what i really yes. appreciate about this album specifically mm-hmm. on all the digital releases uh because on the original cd version um a couple of these tracks are broken into pieces construction of white being one of them um, i really like that itunes spotify has um combined them into one piece um so the, the, the first half of this song uh, is the instrumental build-up, I guess you can say. And the second half is when the vocals come in. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I love Adrian Ballou's vocals on this, too. This song, to me, clearly is about questioning the existence of God. I mean, if you listen to the lyrics, the song yeah. lists all things in the world that we usually associate with God, have it created, and then questions and that's really all that possible, that maybe God didn't create them. I mean, come on. <laughs> How can you argue that's not? These are uh, these are seriously some of his best lyrics, and it's uh, it's weird because he does it in that kind of odd style um, where he's just going on about it's it, seemingly random things, but there is an overall theme to it, which is which is really nice. And I, you're definitely right about the instrumental. It's one of the most instrumentally interesting songs they've done in in my opinion um there's definitely and it's got kind of an atmospheric quality and i like the like you were talking about how you love the philosophical (laughs) side of lyrics um in king crimson and i agree um and yeah this is just one of uh to me one of their best i really like i I do too um and I was like, oh, um, and despite, you know, just talking about how Fripp wasn't really into this record, you must like this track enough because when I saw them, I just saw King Crimson Live a couple of weeks ago, and I'm not, I'm not going to get into that concert too much because we're saving that for the last episode. Uh, but when I saw them live, uh, they played this and they played Lark's Tongues Part 4 as well. Um, so obviously there are some standouts even for the band, um, this one being one of them. Of course. Um, but... Thank God, especially just coming off of Prozac Blues, that we go to, you know, in my opinion, it's <laughs> one of the worst, the worst King Crimson song to, quite frankly, probably one of the best. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a weird juxtaposition, isn't it? Uh, but let's move on to track three, Into the Frying Pan. Um, this is another one of those songs, kind of like Sex, Eat, Dream, and... Uh, not so much people, I guess, but I just one of those songs I don't really care for. I don't think it's a bad song per se, but it's definitely not a standout. I will say the one thing I do like about this song is I do like the vocal harmonies um, in the beginning. I think mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. I don't know if that's just just Adrian Ballou, but you know, using different vocal effects. I guess it would have to be because Tony Levin's not on the album, and Tony Levin was 
pretty much their only backup singer. Um, yeah, I th- I think this one is about average for me. Uh, this one doesn't blow me away either. But I really, but the highlight for me too, actually, I do like um, like you said the vocals, but uh, the drums actually really pop out on this one. There's some really cool stuff that uh, Pat Masoletto is doing underneath that I really like. Uh, I suggest if you listen to this again to really listen to the drums because it's some the drums kind of bring it to about average status for me because he's doing some pretty cool stuff rhythmically but otherwise yeah not necessarily remarkable lyrics and um i don't know it's pretty average i would say yeah i would agree um so yeah nothing more to add on to that song let's move on then to track four uh fractured so not fracture fracture Mm -hmm. and again we have a F R A capital k c t u r e d (laughs) um and this one is a little just like interesting backstory about this song. Um, this one is the, I guess you could say, um, a cousin to the song Fracture in that they're both amongst some of the most challenging and complex King Crimson pieces. Interesting enough, though, uh, Fractured initially began as the fifth entry to the Lark's Tongue Suite. Um, but as the band was you know, mm. writing the song, it was later in the process considered closer to be in the lineage of Fracture, uh, which of course is the final track off Starless and Bible Black. So thus it was renamed to Fractured. Um, I fucking love this song. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad you I'm glad you agree with me because um, I actually think I like this better than Fracture. Um, I cause I was cause I was confused at first. I'm like, wait a minute, because uh, I didn't know the backstory there. Cause I was listening to it and I'm like what is um i'm like is this the same song like are they are they just redoing the song or is it supposed to be the same thing that i realized they're mm-hmm. called fractured okay so they add the ed so i actually uh listened to fracture after this um after i listened to the album and i i have to say yeah like uh maybe it's not right to compare the two because they're two different eras of the band but uh this this track definitely blows the other one out of the water as far as i'm concerned i would agree and, and fracture was one of my favorite songs off starless and bible black yeah. but i agree i think i like fractured better mm-hmm. there's actually when we're done talking about this record there's another version of fractured that i like even better that i'm gonna really just mm-hmm. probably go on a brief you know rant about but this song holy freaking brutal oh it's so good and like <laughs> now, th- there's this there they keep coming back to this, I don't know if you call it a riff or a chord progression, that is so good. I don't know. I was just about to talk it's about so that. so good. So there's like around like the, the 525 yeah. mark, there's this breakdown. Yep. Um, and the guitar just comes in. It's it just, just like wails. In your face. It's so good. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. When it, And then it really picks up at the end. It's And this somehow like uh i'm I'm gonna look at it right now um really quick but uh this it's i'm pretty sure this is a bit longer of a song uh instrumental but it just it's still it doesn't overstay its welcome either it's a little longer but i still really it holds my interest um you know just fine it doesn't i just want to see how long it is so i don't sound like a total idiot but I know it was one of the longer tracks. Here we go. It's like it's um nine, it's it's nine minutes long, so it's the longest track on the album. Okay. And I still don't. Or no, sorry, it isn't. Uh, Lark's tongues and aspect part four is. But uh, yeah, it was. It held my interest the whole time. It it's a really really fantastic track. 
It really is. It's it, without a doubt a highlight. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, so we both really love this song, yeah. so <laughs> I think that's our cue to move on to uh, to track five, which is the world's my oyster soup kitchen floor wax museum museum. Hey, that's that's a name. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Same feeling overall as it's a frying pan. I think it's just okay. Yeah. It's my least favorite off the album. But again, I don't think it's a I thought bad Prozac track. Blues was. Oh, um, yeah, see, I've, I'm, I'm I'm trying to erase <laughs> Prozac Blues out of my mind. <laughs> so I digress. Go ahead, go ahead. Prozac Blues, I think I made blatantly clear, is my least favorite. So I take that back. So this one would be my second least favorite then mm-hmm. uh, but again i like into the frying pan in that aspect i don't think it's a bad song i just think it's okay it's not yeah, really same. anything uh, I, don't, yeah, I don't really know that's... what he's going on about in this song like i, I yeah no idea. i'm just kind of like eh. i don't care enough to look up the lyrics yeah. in the other songs it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's unremarkable but it's not unbearable either you know and well said well said i agree um so in that case let's just move on then to track six which, again, just like the construction of Light, this one was on the original CD release, broken into the, I think, four individual parts. Mm-hmm. But it's one piece now. Um, and that is Lark's Tongues and Aspic. I keep saying heck. Aspic. Part mm-hmm. four. Learn to enunciate, please. Just just think of um, ass and, like, pick, like an ice pick. Ass and then ass pick. pick. Picture yeah. pick. Yeah. There you go. I keep saying pet. Anyways. <laughs> um... Yeah, so this, of course, hence the title, continues the series of instrumental pieces um, forming a cross-album suite, primarily recalling the motives of part two. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I like it. It's good. I think this one's a little too long. Um, mm-hmm. I actually much prefer uh, Fractured and the first half of the construction of Light yes. more than Lark's Tongue Part 4. But I think this one's still pretty good. And there's a couple of... I do too. uh, You know what really did it for me? I was actually listening to this today. Again, I listened to all three of these today. And I was like, around the middle part, I'm like, I don't know if I'm into this, but the ending, when he starts, all the vocals come in. the coda. And he's like talking about all this, like, there's a lot of like, really like dark, kind of like, um, a lot of, he starts like, just naming off a bunch of dark subjects and people and you know, uh, he's, you know, he's talked about well, some of the things he talked about is like Hiroshima and he talks about, um, uh, the Holocaust and like he mentioned Saddam Hussein, he mentions all these dark things and it, it, it really like, I was like, okay, I'm in now, you know, like they were starting to lose me in the middle. And then at the end, I'm like, all right, uh, this is cool. You know, th- that kind you of, you just summarize my exact feelings yeah. of this song because I agree. I think, um, the middle could be cut out a little, but I think yeah. this one does overstay its welcome. But I do really like the coda section of this song as well. Yeah, it really brought it back to me. Uh, I was pretty surprised, actually. Yeah. And there, um, are, there are a couple of hints at uh, some of the previous Lark's Tongues and Aspic. Um, uh, uh, well, a couple of those other pieces. Like, I, I definitely hear similar, like, uh, what was definitely some similar instrumentation to the first one. And I think the third one. I don't know the third one as well. See, but... I was going to say, I don't really hear the first one too much. I hear mostly um, uh, motives of the second one. Mm-hmm. But I do hear a little bit of part three as well. Mm-hmm. You could definitely hear part It one. definitely fits into the whole Lark's Tongues and Aspect. Oh, absolutely. Um, 
family, I guess you would say. Uh, but yeah, it's not, it's not, I'd say you're right. It's not as interesting as Fractured or The Construction of Light, but I think I'm going to listen to that one more and I think that one's going to grow on me a little bit, especially with that really cool outro. I, uh, that, <laughs> that is, that was, that's one of my favorite outros I think I've heard in a song. It's just, it really added, uh, it, it added a weight to it for me. Yeah, I would agree. Um, okay, so let's move on to track seven, which is the closing track, uh, Heaven and Earth. Uh, just a mm-hmm. little backstory on this song, because we mm-hmm. did talk about the projects. Um, mm-hmm. This actually comes from one of the projects. So there was Project X, I believe it was called, uh, which literally is the same <laughs> lineup as this lineup on the construction of light, Fripp included. And I haven't listened to the whole Heaven and Earth album. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. It's probably not something I'm ever going to go check out. <laughs> There's um, just too much, I'm... you know? <laughs> well, it's too much. And if I'm basing it off this song. So this song to me, it, uh, this is where we get to, to prog metal noodly for my taste mm-hmm. at least. Um, I would have just taken this off altogether and closed with Lark's Tongues. Mm-hmm. It's very strange that they ended the album with a song that was off another King Crimson project, and I believe this song is also on that album. I know the album's called Heaven and Earth, um, but I don't know. It's a really strange way to end the record to me. So I think my opinion with this one is, um, by the beginning of this song, I agree. When I when I was listening to Lark's Tongues, I'm like, okay, they like especially with how Lark's Tongues Part 4 ended... I think they should have ended the album with it. However, I do, I, I like, I again, I was fatigued at the start of this, but then once it got to the ambient part towards like the late middle part of the song, I really liked that actually, and I thought it was really good. It's just that it's a bit. This is definitely misplaced on the album. I think they could actually get rid of one of the more maybe, you know, uh, either into the frying pan, oyster soup kitchen, whatever, or Prozac blues and put that in there and that would have been fine um because i i kind of like the outro of the song a lot like the the ambient kind of um light chimey kind of sound that they have at the end it it breaks it up a little bit so that that's my opinion on that track anyway i think i I think it's misplaced it's definitely much a bit much after part four but uh i I still liked it i think maybe it would have been cool to end with just the ambient section of the song. Yes. I, I do agree. I do like that part of the song. Yeah. Um, it's really like the more prog metal, which is the majority of the song. Um, I, I'm just not my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fair. At least. Um, all right. So that's Construction of Light. Before we move on, let's talk about bonus and B-sides, which really at this mm-hmm. point, it's bonus songs. There's no such thing as B-sides in this point of the band's career. Um, and there's a couple. So we have a live version of the construction of light, which I'll be honest with you, I have not listened to. Um, so I will check that out. Uh, but I just didn't get around to listening to the live version. Uh, that's on Spotify. Um, there's also, watch me try to pronounce this, Mastolotolicus SS Blasticus. <laughs> um it's an improv piece. It's from the Eyes Wide Open DVD. Uh, this is, of course, the audio version of that. I, again, 
I haven't listened to it, so I couldn't give you an opinion on it. But just wanted to mention that that's a bonus track that's on the Spotify version of The Construction of Light. This I do want to talk about, though. Um, this was released as a 50th anniversary single, but also um, there's a new remix of The Construction of Light called The Reconstruction of Light. And we've been talking about all these 40th anniversary Mm-hmm. re-releases of the King Crimson albums. This is the one I'm going to invest in first. Mm-hmm. I listened to the fractured version um, of the Reconstruction of Light, but it's also 50th anniversary single, so you can check it out on Spotify. Um, but this is off of the Reconstruction of Light. Mm-hmm. And just to give a little bit of background, basically this new remix is Pat Mastelato re-recording his drum parts with an acoustic set as opposed to the electronic set. Oh, that would be really good. If to hear. you thought the construction of light version kicked ass, this version <laughs> is even better. I gotta Holy listen to it. Yeah. Shit, I was listening to this earlier today, and <laughs> I really God. feel like I I, I I I fumbled the ball here with not listening to this 50th uh, anniversary <laughs> remasters because. Uh, uh, yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of really good stuff. So This one was just recently Damn. released. And guys, yeah. just like a little side note, like if you haven't been keeping up with these 50th anniversary singles that David Singleton has been uh, releasing on all digital platforms um, every Friday, you're you're missing out because there are just some yeah. really... Some, some of it's like unnecessary, but most of the stuff are just like these rare gems. Oh, yeah. You really wouldn't hear anywhere else unless if you have the money to spend on all these crazy KC box sets, but... This version of Fractured, I, I am going to invest on the reconstruction of light. <laughs> I, dude, you, your homework assignment as soon as we're done recording is listen to this version of Fractured. Yeah, I'm Holy... probably going to do that as soon as we, we get done. I'll probably listen to that. It's version. so good. The, the mix is just better. <laughs> Hearing, you know, the, the acoustic drums as opposed to electronic drums, it's even heavier somehow. And cool. I just. You need to check it out. It's so I definitely will. good. I definitely will. <laughs> um, and then the the other song is um, also the construction of light. This was, I guess, initially a previously unreleased version, but it was also mm-hmm. released as a 50th anniversary single. And it's um, labeled as the complete version. And by complete version, it's just an, another added line. And the line is, uh, the man might improvise the construction of light. It's worth checking out. It's the same song, just with that added line. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not sure why they chose to not include that line on the album version, uh, because I think that just fits with the song. But it's still worth checking out. Like I said, it's not really adding anything new to the song. It's the same song. It's not a remix. Mm-hmm. Um, just with that one line that I guess they initially chose to not include on the album version. But final thoughts. Um, my final thoughts on this album, um, I think, okay, so I overall like this album a lot, actually. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's some, I think here's the thing. There's some, a few tracks that are kind of misses and maybe for some people, some big misses, but there's some really good stuff on here too. So it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's a weird album. It's, it, it's interesting the placement of it that it's the middle album because it kind of reminds me in some way and because of fractured it reminds me of starless and bible black because it's kind of uh and you know without spoiling too much um 
the it's kind of wedged between two better albums and in my opinion anyway and um i don't know i just i don't i don't really know what to say about it i i if i were to give it out of 10 i give it like a 6 out of 10 i think but there's certain tracks here that like particularly fractured in the construction of light that are some of king crimson's best stuff so that's I mean, and that's the thing and and like the highs yeah, on this one are high, are high. Yeah. <laughs> they really yeah they are. really are yeah um look this is without a this was without a doubt the hardest king crimson album for me at least to listen to mm-hmm. i totally understand why this is regarded as the bottom the least favorite for you know most fans um but i think this record has a lot of potential um, like mm-hmm. I said, I I really want to check out the reconstruction of light version. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's as bad as other people place it. Um, no, I don't either. Between this episode and our final episode, I plan on doing one more run through of the whole discography. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think I would put this one on the bottom, to be honest with you. No, I don't think I would put this. I don't think it would be. It's certainly. There's a couple of albums, I'll say at least, that were, are below this. But I would not recommend this one first. This this would be like no. This would still be one of the last King Crimson albums I would recommend. Yeah, but, this you you don't want to start with this album. No, that's for sure. no, no, no. But there, it's, there's uh, potential it's got, here. The, the, that's the thing. This this song and or this album. And again, I'm sorry to keep comparing it to the album, but there, I can you see what I'm saying with the similarities between this and Starless and Bible Black? Um, I think this has the highs on this album are are more um stand out to me more than than stuff like on starless and bible black okay. and the, the the reason i pick that album is just because again it has some really high points and some low points um so i think it's comparable but yeah this is uh the the stuff that i like on this i just really really love i think the comparisons with this one and starless and bible black are definitely um understandable i think where we do disagree mm-hmm. is for and you know i've expressed my love for that album i would still put that one <laughs> higher than this one but i think yeah. this is a good album too i'm not you know i was really surprised um i think it's underrated um totally, for sure it's and totally like underrated. you said it has a lot of potential and i would also definitely be into the reconstruction of light to see what what happens or like see how that sounds you know definitely so let's move on to the power to believe but before we are we going do that, to move on to the power to believe, but first we're going to take a little pause yeah, break. Thank you. <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. All right, so let's move on to the power. I almost have the power to believe. The power to believe. Oh boy. All right, the power to believe. So power to believe uh, is the thirteenth and to date last studio album by King Crimson. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was released on March 4th, 2003 through Sanction- Sanctuary Records. Uh, the Power to Believe was preceded by the Companion Studio EPs, uh, Level 5, and Happy With What You Have to Be Happy With. Uh, both of those featured alternate and otherwise unreleased tracks, as well as early live versions of songs from that era. And I'll be honest, just like Thrack Attack um and the vroom ep i have not listened to either one of these eps uh eventually i do plan on it but for the you know for the sake of this episode i did not listen to those prior i have um (laughs) you have any i didn't think so um and after a tour with tool the band tool in 2001 in crimson refined and focused their four-piece structure 
for their second album in that configuration. So, of course, uh, the band members, which you'll still say, are the same band members from The Construction of Light. And uh, this album, actually, I'm looking now, charted really well um, compared to the last several albums. Like, it did, like, 162 in the UK, 150 in the US, but randomly it got to number 18 in Poland and uh, number 45 in Italy and uh, a couple other ones. Oh, it, it hit number 25 in Finland randomly. Like, this album actually charted pretty well. Uh I wonder if it's because of that Tool tour, possibly, uh, if that gave them a boost or whatever. But yeah, this that had to have been it. Yeah, they they it charted pretty well for the most part. <clears throat> I mean, this was around the time two thousand one Tool was Lateralis had just came out. Mm-hmm. Like Tool was that Schism was a really big single. Uh, this was like Tool at their popularity peak. So I can't help but wonder if that yeah, I'm, sh- played, I'm sure it had some kind of effect on it. But as for the band members, um, we have. Robert Fripp on guitar, mastering and production, Adrian Blue. Well, it's actually, I don't really need to go through it because it's the same band members as the last album. Robert Fripp, Adrian Blue, Pat Mastoletto, and Trey Gunn. And Trey Gunn. And this was the last book with Trey Gunn. Yep. Uh, by the way. Um, all right, so let's dive into the track listing. Um, track one, The Power to Believe One, a capella. Acapella. Acapella, thank you. I should have known that. Uh, you know, studying music and whatnot back in the day. Um, but I just made a fool of myself, so let's <laughs> move on from that. Hey, it's all, it's all good. <laughs> Guys, by the way, I am a teacher. <laughs> Despite having the, uh, they gave this the man apparent pronunciation problem that I have. But anyways, <laughs> um, so this is kind of like a cool ambient piece that stems throughout the album. Um, fun fact about this song, this specifically stems from an Adrian Ballou song. Uh, called All Her Love Is Mine. He recycles the line, she carries me through days of apathy, she washes over me, she saved my life in a manner of speaking, which is a line from The Power to Believe, but mm-hmm. it's recycled from this one Adrian Ballou song. Um, oh, I forgot the line when she gave me back The Power to Believe. <laughs> um, he did this to give these ambient pieces throughout the record sort of a sense of coherence, since they are, of course, spread out. And where I was very vocal about the distorted vocals off the last record, um, sort of the more robotic guest vocals, I actually really like on this song. Yeah, uh, they they suit it well uh, for some reason. <laughs> it's uh, it, I mean, it's a this track's very short and just kind of like a little opener, but it does give a vo- it kind of like sets the stage for the album very well, I think. Yeah, totally. Um, not much more to really say about that one, so let's move on to track two, and that is Level 5. A little background about this song. Uh, this is actually uh, Lark's Tongues Part 5, mm-hmm. and I gotta tell you, I I love this one. I think it's the best Lark's piece since Part 2. I agree. Yeah, it's one of my favorite King Crimson in- instrumentals, and it's right up there it's again it's got that kind of red vibe uh it's really dark um i saw them when i saw them live they played this and i was just really into it uh, uh yeah see this one they didn't play when i saw them the, i really love the part where it breaks down and and it gets that rhythm section rhythmic section where it's like bam 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 and there's like di- it, it's it's kind of like 
it's weird. It's almost like they're they're going out of sync, but in sync at the same time. It's it's weird. It's a it's a really really cool track. Very dark. I, I agree, and I would say this is like in terms of heaviness, it's like on par with Thrak. Uh, whereas oh, we yeah. mentioned that Thrak was like probably their heaviest song to date. Uh, level five might give it a run for its money. Oh, it's, for it's, sure. Yeah, um, I was I was listening to David Singleton's commentary. Um, because Level 5 was released as a 50th anniversary single. Mm -hmm. Uh, So not to get ahead of ourselves, uh, but it was a live version. Um, And he was saying originally why this one was called Level 5, as opposed to Lark's Tongues 5, uh, was to sort of separate the expectation so fans weren't initially comparing it to the other Lark's pieces. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess if you do look at track listings from recent King Crimson live albums, as well as set lists. It is now labeled as Lark's Tongues in Aspect Part 5, uh, but they did initially name it Level 5 for that reason to sort of just um, drift away from those, you know, initial comparisons, which I know, you know, I would I would do. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, it's, it was probably a smart idea. It didn't put more pressure on them to make it sound a certain way. Yeah, totally. Um, anything else to add to Level 5? Uh, it's one of my favorite tracks on the album. I just love it. I think it's uh, it's classic. It's that classic King Crimson sound, very industrial sounding, very dark sounding, menacing, yeah. uh, heavy. I, you know, I would agree. And it's it's one of those um, KC instrumentals where what I love about it again is it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's perfect track length in my opinion. Yep. Um. So you know, speaking of level five, and in some ways, the next track dies wide open. Um, we talked about, you just mentioned the industrial sound. Mm-hmm. To me, this is where they finally sort of perfected that industrial influence in that that it doesn't, it felt a little forced mm-hmm. on Thrak, certain parts of Thrak, and really on certain parts of the construction of Light. I think it's used more um, naturally on this album out of mm-hmm. the three. Um, but even a song like Eyes Wide Open, and even though that's a ballad, it still incorporates like this ambient industrial sound throughout the track. Um, this is a really pretty ballad. I like the song a lot. I uh, really like Eyes Wide Open too. Um, I like the vocals a lot. Um, and there's some very interesting things going on instrumentally in this track. Uh, like you said, the, it definitely incorporates that industrial sound very well into a more ballady type sound, which is really interesting. And there's some really good, like, airy kind of um, guitar, and I guess it's keyboard work. Um, let's see, what what is it? Uh, it might be more of his, uh, some more of that, like, Fripper-tronic type of thing that, that mm-hmm. Fripp does. Um, but there's some really, really good stuff going on there in, uh, in that track. There's some really, like, kind of atmospherical little touches that I really appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, like, and like you said, I think uh, the vocals are great too. Um, I've I've really been digging these, you know, these later King Crimson, Adrian Blue acoustic pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one's more in the vein of like One Time and Walking on Air. Um, so I think that's why I was initially drawn to this track. Um, but let's move on to track four, Electric. And I love this song. This is another this is another killer instrumental. This is, 
one of their best instrumentals uh, from this period, I think. Um, it's I think the name is very uh, very appropriate for it. Electric. It makes it. It almost sounds. Uh, um, like an electrical current or something. It's weird. Yeah. It's interesting because when you first listen to the song, the beginning and the end of the song sounds like it could be a song that wouldn't be, you know, too far off on appearing on an album like Lark's Tongues. But then yes. immediately it goes into that heavy industrial sound. And you're like, oh, oh, nope, so just, kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just um, kidding. But I love it. This, um, I think, elect. Uh, no, that's a lie. There's another song. I was gonna say electric might be my favorite instrumental, but there's one other one um, that I might have to give over this one. But this is still a great track. Oh, I, I and again, this does not overstay its welcome uh, at all. It's very digestible. It's about, it's well, it's about eight minutes long, but it doesn't, it doesn't bore me anyway at, at any point. I think, uh, which I have to say about yeah, all I would, the instrumentals I would agree. on this album. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. No, I was. I was. No, I said. I. I would say that about all the instrumentals on this album. Uh, on this like... one in particular, um, absolutely. Um, and this is definitely not a long eight minutes. I think this is one that it's mm-hmm. um, the length is perfect. I want to. I want to change anything about it. Just a great song. Um, yeah. Oh God, the instrumentals are great on this one. Yeah, I would totally um, agree. And they they transition. Um, they make Sorry, the transition from the, the songs with the vocals on, like with like the vocal heavy songs. Well, it makes mm-hmm. the, the transition really well between the two, the instrumentals, which is what I like. You know, I wish I kind of wish they had done it on other albums. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but that's you know that's what's so cool about a band like this, and that's mm-hmm. you know they've been around for so long that even they've like you know they haven't perfected their craft. They're still learning new things. They are truly a progressive band. True, yeah, and in, in, in the truest sense for sure. Um, so track five, which track five really isn't really worth talking about because it's really I think serves, five and six are essentially should be just one track. Right, it serves as an intro, facts of life intro, hence intro, which uh, goes into the song facts of life, which is track six, and this is my least favorite off the album. Um, it kind of, in some ways, reminds me of Prozac Blues, only not as bad. Um, it just sounds like cringeworthy new metal. I fucking hate new metal. <laughs> That's just <laughs> what I hear in this song. I did, see, I don't hear that. I actually really like this tune, so this is probably uh-huh. where we're gonna defer. I really like the lyrics a lot, um, cause it's it's very much um, they're kind of cynical lyrics in a way. And like, you know, stuff like, you know, none of them give back whatever, uh, as much as they take, you know, six billion ants crawling on a plate, obviously using, you know, uh, the ants as a metaphor for humans just consuming too much and not giving enough back to the planet. And, you know, it references things like, you know, uh, you know, nobody knows what happens when you die. You know, I, I like the cynical kind of hard look at reality within the lyrics and there's just, um... I also like his gruffer vocals. Yeah, now, now uh, you have me actually pulling up Adrian the lyrics. Really... Huh? No, I was just saying, now that you have me pulling up the lyrics, because I, I, I do recall liking the lyrics to this song, but... Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know, just the just the vocal approach to this one. I just... It just I like his, I like his vocals, too. Uh, like, they're kind of growly, which is weird for yeah, him. They're kind of like a... 
he's it, more aggressive vocal style for him. And I don't know. There's also just this part oh, yeah, of the, yeah. where the guitar solo comes in. But anyways, the lyrics to the song. Yeah, no, this is... I do like the lyrics, too. I do remember thinking that when I was listening to it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just don't like the approach to it, but that's just me. The, uh, I say I say, if you can, give uh, give this one another shot. It might grow on you after a while. Oh, yeah, I absolutely will. We'll talk about our last episode. There were a couple songs throughout the band's career that I might have been a little uh, vocal about, about my feelings, mm-hmm. that uh, some of which I have um, changed a little bit. Uh, so who knows? This could cool. be one of those songs, but... As of now, it's not a favorite of mine. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I like this is probably one of the few examples where we're just very different. I also you should I'll say, mention this at the end of it. This is probably the album of this period I'm most familiar with and like the most. But I'll get into that later. So okay, so then let's move on to track. I'll put a place here. There we go. Uh, track seven. The Power to Believe 2, Power Circle. Uh, this song is, without a doubt, the centerpiece of the album. I love that, how all all the different, uh, I guess, instrumentation that we hear throughout the record is sort of incorporated really well on this track at once. Mm-hmm. Since the guitar, the percussion, etc. Uh, this is just a super chill, laid-back song. Um, and they kind of reprise that acapella from the beginning. Which they do throughout. Um, like yep. like Vroom, um, this is one I've been meaning to make a playlist and just listen to the four power to believe pieces back to back to hear how they would just sound like a standalone track. Uh, but this is one of my favorites. Yes, I like this one a lot too. Uh, it's kind of a cool ambient sort of piece. Again, kind of mixes more of that industrial sound in a lighter setting and creates a cool atmospheric little piece it's a it, again a instrumental that doesn't overstay its well welcome and stays interesting it's not not boring at all agreed uh let's move on to track eight which is my favorite song off the album and that is dangerous curves wow yeah favorites. <laughs> so what i like about this song is it almost sounds like this like disco prog voyage <laughs> is really the best way to describe it um, this song is just so badass. Um, there's this like around the 545 mark of the song, this guitar chord that Fripp just, I'm assuming it's Fripp, just blasts and it's just held uh, for the rest of the song. Um, this this song like reminds me of like the Red era meets the Discipline era. Like take a song like Red, uh, Red meets Discipline almost. And that's dangerous curves. <laughs> and it has that way, kind of like how Starless, but not, I mean, I wouldn't say the song is as good as Starless, but it has that way of building and building. Yes. You know, and then there's a big payoff, I think, at the end. I think it, I think it's really, um, it's a, it's a pretty epic track. That 545 <laughs> mark is the payoff. For sure. Yeah, it's pretty great. And what do you think of this one? <laughs> uh, I, I agree. I don't think it's my favorite, but I really love this one. Um, like I said, the instrumentals really are in a lot of ways, the highlights of this album, uh, like level five is great. Electric's great power to believe. And this just continues that trend. As far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. uh, some of the best crimson, uh, instrumentals as far as, you know, in, uh, in my opinion. 
but this one, yeah, like I said, the slow build is nice. Uh, again, more of that industrial sound. You have that amazing guitar. Um, but yeah, uh, otherwise, yeah, I uh, overall I really enjoy this track. I would say it's it's definitely one of the uh, one of the highlights on the album for sure. Okay, um, so let's move on to track nine, which is happy with what you have to be happy with. And this one's cool in the sense that I really appreciate the different use of technology that's used. Um, in a way, it rem- kind of reminds me of like a 21st century of elephant talk in the sense of the mm-hmm. lyrics. I had the lyrics pulled up, and I think I just X'd them out. Um, oh, I know the lyrics pretty well. I, I like how they basically break the fourth wall, and they're just like, yeah... And so then I'm gonna write a chorus. That's where I'm getting at, kind of like chorus. elephant talk it's in so that good. sense, where it breaks the fourth yeah. wall, like you just said. It's cool, yeah. It's it's. I mean, overall, like if you if you were to look at the song, like if you don't, if you weren't a King Crimson fan, you're like, what is this? This is stupid. But as a fan, and just like kind of being a music fan in general, you can appreciate somebody actually singing about. It's almost like they're they were writing the song, and they're like, and Adrian Blue was just like, okay, so. We don't have lyrics, but this is the song, and he, he it's almost like he was just like, and then we're going to have to write a chorus, and then Fripp was like, ah, just keep that, you know? Yeah. It's almost like they just like went with it, you know? Um, so while the <laughs> lyrical side of the song and the um, t- technological side of the song I appreciate, um, just as a song, it's not one of my favorites. I think this might be one that's going to grow on me over time. Um, yeah. It, it took me a while, too, when I was first listening to this album. But yeah, it, 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 it kind of it grows on you after a while. Yeah, and I have a feeling that's going to be the case for me. Uh, but like I said, there's there's a lot that the song offers that I really do appreciate. Um, mm-hmm. So then that brings us to track 10 and 11 that I think we can just condense, which is The Power to Believe 3, Deception of the Thrush, and then The Power to Believe 4, Coda. Um, and these last two tracks really are just kind of like a continuation slash reprise of the song to power to believe, which as we discussed is spread throughout, um, those robotic mm-hmm. vocals return, which I think are beautiful. Um, there's a cool ambient section of the power to believe three that I like. Um, but I, I think this is a cool way to close the album. I want to, again, make a playlist of just these four songs. Cause I'm curious as to what it, might sound like as one piece but what do you think as far as closing this record with these last two tracks i think i again don't overstay their welcome at all you have six about six or seven minutes total between the two tracks so they don't they don't linger too long um great atmospheric tone to it see i like when um instrumentals which i think all of these do have kind of a vibe and kind of like like almost like um atmosphere ambience whatever you want to call it to them and uh they all kind of are very good at like painting a picture and um i think it just ends the ends the album on a high note as far as i'm concerned it's uh it uh it, it, again i usually complain about back-to-back <laughs> instrumentals but i can i can deal with a four minute and about a three minute song mm-hmm. <laughs> to end the album with so yeah absolutely it's, a good, like it's, it's almost like a good palate cleanser yeah, I agree, and I think uh, I think you're right that I'd be interested in hearing the four pieces back to back. So let's before because I just realized we never did our top three tracks for the construction of light. So let's talk about bonus. Oh yeah. yeah so let's talk about bonus songs really quick, and we'll do our top mm-hmm. three for this one: uh, construction of light, 
final thoughts on this one, and then we'll rank our top three of this era. Sound good? Okay. Uh, Sounds good so to me. So with bonus songs, we have an acoustic version of uh, Eyes Wide Open. It was released as a 50th anniversary single, as well as the Happy What You Want to Be Happy With EP. Uh, that one's pretty good. I think I overall like the Power to Believe version better, but it's still worth checking out this just acoustic version of this song. Um, there's also a 40th Power to Believe slash 50th anniversary single edition of Electric, which from what I, I only listened to it once and it didn't sound like it offered anything new other than just a remastered version. Um, but I'll have to go back and listen to that again. So there's that. There's also a 50th anniversary. This was released as a 50th anniversary single uh, of Dangerous Curves. Uh, I was listening to David Singleton's commentary, and he described it as a reinvented version. Uh, I guess it's mm-hmm. based off of the live version from 2001's Level 5 EP, um, mm-hmm. but I guess reinvented of that version. Um, I haven't listened to that version yet. So that's worth checking okay. out. I know I want to check that out. I haven't listened to any of these either. So. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, and then there's also, again, a 50th anniversary uh, version, uh, a live version of Level 5, which was from the Meltdown Live in Mexico. Uh, that was a recent live album. And... Mm-hmm. That's the commentary where David Singleton talks about why they call, didn't call Level 5 Lark's Tongues Part 5, but why it's now labeled as Lark's Tongues Part 5. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, let's do our top three for the construction of light, and then our top three for the power to believe. You go first. So for me, for construction, it's... I have a feeling we're going to have the same one. I don't know if we're yeah, in the same too. order. For me, it's one. One is construction of light, then fractured, then Lark's 4 um yes mine's gonna be the same and in that order uh my number one's gonna be the construction of light then fractured specifically that reconstruction of light version and then Mm -hmm. lark's tongues part four it's gonna be my third yep so it's the same except uh and who knows maybe when i hear the 50th or the reconstruction of light version i'll also say that's my favorite (laughs) (laughs) because it sounds like it's gonna be good so uh, tell us your top three for Power to Believe. My top three for the Power to Believe, I think I'm going to have to go with level five. I'm not going to do this in a specific... Honestly, you know what? I honestly think it's level five, eyes wide open, and electric. I, I think maybe I'd put eyes wide open over level five. Uh, but then, yeah, eyes wide open, level five, so electric. We... I hate to do just like... I hate to do just, like, the beginning tracks there, but God, I love it. So while <laughs> our top three for construction of light was identical, our top three for power, I believe, is quite different, except for one song. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, one song. Uh, so my number one would be Dangerous Curves. My number mm-hmm. two would be The Power to Believe 2, Power Circle. And then my number three would be Electric with level five just making it a number four but i gotta give it to electric over level five (laughs) electric's so good i love it (laughs) so final thoughts on this one um this is my favorite of this era um and i have to say i have a history with this album i've been um 
ever since I was originally into King Crimson, um, this was an album that stood out to me. Um, I don't know why. I think part of the reason was watching that um, live in Japan, uh, live video or whatever it was, because uh, most of the tracks are from this. Um, and I don't know. It w I originally listened to it when I was in Montana and listened to it a bunch on when I was driving home and I just have a lot of nostalgia for it but beside my personal feelings I just think if you look at it I think this era and the Lark's Starless Red era have a lot in common in in the sense that I think uh I think that that Thrack really started to kind of establish the sound that they're going for and you know what maybe construction was sort of like the more experimental trying to find their way and then i think this was the sound that or this was the album where they really perfected what they were trying to do that is my opinion of the whole era and i think this is the strongest release. yeah I, I would to mirror that a little bit this is the red of this so, era in my yeah so this one is without a doubt the most cohesive out of the three yes it's almost like the other yes. two in some ways work up to this one um this one the highlights for me are the instrumentals dangerous curves level five yes. and what am i missing electric are stand high with some of their classic instrumentals um for mm -hmm. me what falls short on this one a little bit are actually the songs with vocals um, that's where this one kind of goes down for me a little bit. But listen, if this is going to be the band's, I guess, final hurrah, which seems like more than likely it is, this is definitely a way to end. Oh, yeah, they definitely ended on a high note. For sure. You know. So before we wrap up this episode, let's do our top three of the year. And I'm going to go first this time, since right. you did your top three. Go for the it. Last two. Um, so look, despite... Um, despite being critical that it's a little bloated, um, I just have to kind of give a shout out of those first six tracks as well as one time. Uh, but I'm going to put Thrack as my number one for this era. Mm -hmm. um, still putting it over the Power to Believe, but then of course Power to Believe is going to be my number two and the Construction of Light is my number three. I think we're just slightly different on this, and mine is Power to Believe, Thrack, then Construction. Yeah, I had a feeling that was going to be your say. order. Um, I think we're... And I'm... I'm Go ahead. Gonna... No, I was just going to say, I think we no, both agree that this last era of the band is pretty solid. I think we both agree that the Construction of Light um, is, by all means, not as bad as um, what most no, uh, no. fans of the band think. Um this album definitely feels like a trilogy of sorts in the sense that Discipline, Beat, and Three of a Perfect Hair felt, as well as Lark's, Starless, and, and Red. In a sense, uh, it's similar in the fact that it has essentially the same lineup because they just lose two, two of the members, but you know four of the members are on each of the releases. So, I mean, it's the Adrian Blue. We could say like the Adrian Fripp or sorry, the blue frip, uh, gun and Mastoletto era, the, you know, I mean, and then you just have the added bonus of Thrack of having Bill Bruford and Tony Levin, you know, <laughs> yeah. so who were, who were also, you know, technically in this era a little bit more than that. If you count all the projects, cause I know they were involved in some of that. They were. Well. Um, but I want to end with a controversial statement, Ooh. if you don't mind. 
This is the most solid era of King Crimson, in my opinion. Really? I'm not saying it's my favorite. I'm not saying it's my favorite. I just think that of all the other eras, I can think of some pretty low points. I don't think, while Construction of Light has its low points in terms of certain songs, I don't think it's a bad album. And I think it's better than um, something like Starless and Bible Black or... Maybe um, um, definitely something like In the Wake of Poseidon, in my opinion. And it's, I think, definitely better than uh, Beat and Three of a Perfect Pair. So as it stands, I would say it might not be my favorite era of King Crimson, but I think it's the most solid of all the eras okay. of King Crimson. I think I'm going to disagree with that. However, um, mm-hmm. what I do think is admirable about this era, and it's kind of where you're like your point is getting at is Mm -hmm. this era of the band didn't let the pressure of what the music scene of the nineties and the two thousands were like, you know, this, this era of the band is no exception in the sense that they continued to push boundaries. They continue to try new things. Sure. There's influence of what was popular of that era, Mm -hmm. but they also didn't let that be a pressure point for them as well, too. Or you can make the case that they might have just a little bit with the 80s era. Yes, I would definitely say that, yeah. This really harkens back to the, like, 70s... I think the 70s um, mindset where they just... They truly just tried to do what they wanted to do and do do Oh, different, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? They, they truly wanted to progress naturally, you know? Whereas the 80s, they did a little bit of, um, the previous era, they definitely did a bit of the whole um, kind of bending a little bit towards what was, um, what was, what was, you know, the popular sound at the time. Although they were still vastly different than almost any other band of that time. I'm not saying that they sold out or anything, but they definitely bent a little bit towards where the trends in music were going to too. And of course, you could also make the argument that maybe they didn't bend and just, you know, with um, particularly uh, Fripp and Baloo's involvement with guys like Bowie and Eno and the Talking Heads, you know, they could have just been influenced in that direction, too. But um, it definitely just sounds like they're they're really they're being very true to themselves. Absolutely. In this era. So, guys, we apologize that this episode took uh, yeah, as long as it did. Uh, We were a month and a half in between episodes. Uh, I am really excited to wrap this series up, and not because I'm ready to move on, but because I just, I can't wait for the last episode. We're going to talk about each of our top 20 favorite tracks, as well as put together the ultimate top 20 King Crimson starter kit playlist, and then we're going to rank the album. (laughs) But we're, guys, we're hoping to get the last episode out within the next two weeks. When we start season two of the Zography series, we do promise that we're going to be on a more consistent schedule. So please stay tuned. Shorter, Shorter episodes. episodes, and we're going to expand. We're going to expand. We're going to get on more platforms, which we'll talk about maybe in the next episode on the wrap up episode. But we we've definitely talked about kind of different ways. Yeah. So we are looking this. into being that we've decided that this is going to go more and continue to go more into the podcast format. Um, while we'll continue to post on YouTube, we are going to we are looking into a program right now that's going to make it more accessible for us mm-hmm. to post 
uh, our podcast on just about any podcast platform. Um, just to make it more convenient for you guys, hoping you know to expand mm-hmm. on our end of things a little bit. So stay tuned for all that stuff, as well as doing other series besides the discography series. But Rob, any final words before we wrap up? That's it. That's all I got to say. I'm really excited for the to wrap this up and uh, like doing like doing our top twenty and you know ranking all the albums stuff. That's the my favorite part of it. So Same. I'm stoked for that. <laughs> all right, guys. <laughs> And also, don't forget, don't forget to check out our both of our um, playlists of the perfect beat and yes. see what you think of it. In the, In the description, description below. below. But until next time, we will see ya. Peace, guys. Peace, guys. Also, it's in this description, blue. Blue. <laughs> like Adrian Blue. <laughs> Bye, guys. That's so bad. <laughs>